0: Liberty, the state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, a right or a privilege, a presumptuous remark or action, the power to act as one pleases. My name is Josh, and this is the Plain Podcast. Oh, yeah, cool intro music. We all love awesome intro music to our favorite radio shows and TV shows and movies and other cool crap. Woo! I swear someday I will have intro music. I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to get something going with it. Unfortunately, even if I'm a halfway decent singer... I'm not much of an instrumentalist, and I don't own an alto saxophone anymore, so there really isn't uh, much for me to do there, but I am working on it. I will have intro music soon. I apologize. you got to put up with my silly BS for the time being, (laughs) but welcome. Welcome to the Plane Podcast, Plane Nation. That is what I am calling you guys from now on. You are the Plane Nation, for those of you who at least enjoy listening to me every once in a while here. This is Episode 3, and in this episode, we are going over some gaming news, a uh, few tidbits there. First of all, the active shooter video game, and PUBG versus Fortnite, as well as Bethesda Studios' little big announcement. We're also going to start covering the Constitution, like I talked about last episode, what it is why it matters, kind of the history of how it came to be its inception and its adoption as to what we know it to be the constitution today. And then also I got to see solo the star Wars movie last weekend. So I'll have a review on that spoilers ahead. It won't be super spoilery. There will be a little bit of information in there, but I've tried to keep it as least spoilery as possible. I pulled out a lot of information and a lot of really cool stuff. But that will be ahead. I will let you know once again before that happens, so then that way you aren't stuck listening to spoilers if you don't want to hear them. So, again, limited spoilers. But let's get started. Um, gaming news, man. This last, I I would even say week and a half to two weeks, has just been crazy. A lot of crazy yeah. stuff going on in gaming. First things first, uh, the active shooter game. Now, if you didn't hear about this, What happened was is a uh, random publishing company, game publisher, that more or less turned out to be kind of a farce, a guy who was like a troll who's done this before, came out with this game that was called Active Shooter. And the idea was is that the person playing the game was the active shooter in a situation Now, I don't know the super fine details, but there is a USA Today article that I found that actually covers it pretty well, and it goes like this. The owner of the video game marketplace, Steam, which is the uh, game publishing corporation, Valve, said said that it removed a game called Active Shooter where players could simulate a school shooting, well, a shooting, I don't know that it was technically school shooting, but at least a shooting, a premise that sparked a ton of outrage with all the school shootings that have been going on lately in Florida, Texas, now Indiana. Valve Corporation said it pulled Active Shooter, which was scheduled to launch on the Steam platform on June 6th. Now, what Steam is, if you don't know, Steam offers a developer program allowing small indie designers to publish their own video games. You know, and Steam is also a uh, PC Platform, it's a it's a PC platform for PC gamers. I have a few games on Steam, not really some indie stuff, but older stuff that's hard to find, like command older Command and Conquer games, Final Fantasy 7, some free stuff I've gotten through EA, things like that. So that's what I use Steam for, personally. But anyway, uh, Active Shooter was described as a quote-unquote dynamic SWAT simulator where players can choose to work as the member of a SWAT team attempting to disarm the shooter, or you could be the shooter themselves. Now, after investigating the controversy surrounding the game, Valve learned the person who they identified, and I'm going to butcher this, Ata Burdiev was behind the games publisher, which he called Revived Games, and developed using the ACID program. Now, this guy, the, this Atta Berdiev guy, was called a troll with a history of customer abuse, publishing copyrighted material, and user review manipulation, according to Valve spokesman Doug Lombardi. In the game, a box to the left of the screen kept track of how many police officers and how many civilians were killed. A video featuring the game briefly shows what appears to be the shooter firing at civilians as they attempt to run away in fear. The video game angered lawmakers and again the parents of school shooting victims. Fred Gutenberg, who had a child that was killed. Uh, in the Florida shooting said that I have seen and heard many horrific things over the past few months since my daughter was the victim of a school shooting and is now dead in real life. This game may be one of the worst. Uh, Florida Senator Bill Nelson also commented, saying this is inexcusable. Any attempt that develops a game like this in wake of such a horrific tra- tragedy should be ashamed of itself. The game also spawned a petition on Change.org that, uh, at the time of this article, said 190,000 signatures. But I believe it got close. It got close to uh, what was it? Two two hundred and twenty-five thousand, or so, somewhere around that number. I know it was over two hundred thousand for sure. I heard heard I had heard two hundred twenty thousand at one point. Steam though included several guidelines for inappropriate content, which one of them was content that is patently. Or extremely offensive, or intended to shock or disgust, which disgust. Excuse me, which they don't allow on the Steam platform. So Valve plans to have a broader conversation, uh, obviously in office, about their uh, Steam content policies, and they intend on changing that now. Internet trolls, typically anonymous users who prank the unsuspecting uh, masses or social media have used incidents like this to basically get attention. And the general consensus about this is that the creator behind the game, all he was trying to do was make a quick buck off of being a shock artist because that's what he's done before. Now, personally, you know, being pro free speech and, and uh, you know, people should be allowed to do as they please But within good taste. I mean, if you really want to go out of your way to offend somebody, fine. And the truth is, is Valve has every right to remove this game off of Steam. They have every right to remove any game off of Steam if they really want to because it's their platform. It's their business. Now, if this guy, which I'm sure he'll probably take it or has a copy of it, it'll be released somewhere on, you know, some sort of dark website or a you know, like a pirate bay kind of site where you can get illegal downloads and stuff like that. And people will probably pay money for this just for this fact that they to say that they can have it or people would have paid money on Valve or excuse me on Steam for something like this just because as a F you to the politicians and the uh general masses who it pisses off. So personally I don't think it was in good taste. I don't think that this was something that should have Hit the market. I think uh, Valve was correct in removing this off of Steam because let's face it. While vi- I don't think video games are to blame for school shootings, and I know that's something I've I've touched on briefly, and I want to get into in the future, it's not video games aren't the problem, but definitely young kids are impressionable, and something like this I think is just a, a bad idea all around. And, you know, if kids want a shooter, there's plenty of shooters out there where they can play them. But we don't need something inciting, you know, specifically being a shooter and acting as an active shooter. I mean, you know, playing CSGO or Counter-Strike GO, you know, you're on one side, you're a terrorist or you're the counter-terrorist, but you're not shooting civilians. You know, that that's, that's a big change to me, and I, I think there's a huge difference in there. You know, where you're just shooting people who are trying to run away. That's, it's garbage, it's trash. Good for Valve for for looking at this and, and you know, taking the time to kind of reorganize and saying, okay, we got to have a little bit stricter content, a little bit stricter rules on what kind of content we're going to have on Steam. But I don't think this is going to affect gaming as much as our next story. Talking about Blue Hole, the publisher for PUBG versus epic games the publisher of fortnite oh my goodness so this uh boy th- this case is going to have a lot of ramifications so the basics of what is going on here the company blue hole that produced player on battlegrounds is suing epic games the the uh the producer of fortnite and basically uh here's the rundown before we Really, kind of dive into what's happening with this lawsuit. So, uh, both games are battle royale games. They're they're a survivor game. the The goal is to be the last team or the last player standing. So that's that's really what you want in this game is to beat everybody else. Whether you're going out and taking everyone else out or You kind of do like I do sometimes, and you duck and hide and try to fight as little as possible. Hey, it's a valid, valid strategy. Don't make fun of me for it. (laughs) But both games um, are the battle royale genre where 100 players are dropped, airdropped onto an island with named locations, with several weapons, and you try to be the last one standing, right? Well, the difference is... Between the two games, in Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, it's more of a straightforward survival shooter, where you can either play in third-person perspective or first-person perspective. Your character can't jump; you can vault over stuff or climb up things, but your character can't jump free, you know, free will willy nilly. And it only has the battle royale mode. Now it has multiple maps. Uh, Xbox just got. The second map, while PC, I think, is up to four maps now, if I I remember correctly. Now, Fortnite is on PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Now, in Fortnite, the major differences differences here is players can gather materials to build structures like platforms, stairs, forts, hence the name Fortnite. Uh, They can also place traps that they find, and it is strictly a third-person perspective where you the only time you go into first person is if you're using a scoped weapon. It also has a campaign mode called Save the World, which is how the game actually started out. They didn't have the Battle Royale mode at first. Um, But the biggest differences here, as far as that goes, is uh, Fortnite's Save the World costs money, but the Battle Royale mode is completely free to anybody who wants to download and play it. PUBG you have to pay for in order to have access to it but at least from my experience on Xbox so far they don't actually charge you anymore for playing or for uh, the extra content like the new map that they just released. They had a technical test server you could download but they haven't charged anybody everything for the new map. It's part of purchasing the game so it's a game as a service kind of model. That being said, another difference that I didn't put down here that I forgot to uh, write down is that Fortnite has a season mode where they are on their third season now, and as you level up, uh, after so many levels, if you're on the free season, you get rewards every so many levels in this book, the, the season book, or the... I forget what they call it. Um, but anyway, or you can pay... With in-game currency, and for every time you level up, you actually get something from that book, which a lot of people tend to do. I I do myself. You know, it's nice to be rewarded for your hard work. Well, anyway, what's happening is, like I said before, Bluehole, the producer for PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, or PUBG, is suing Epic Games, who created Fortnite, and also created the engine that PUBG runs on. Where Bluehole in this lawsuit is claiming that Epic Games, by creating Fortnite, was a copyright infringement and they purposefully copied PUBG. Okay, there's an article I found here um, regarding this website. So in January, PUBG actually sued for copyright infringement to protect their copyright. Uh, they, They sued Fortnite or Epic Games. Now, in September, this is last year now, Fortnite, which I said had the Save the World mode at first, added the Battle Royale mode. PUBG, which, again, is a subsidiary of Bluehole, said it was unsure how to respond to Fortnite's new game mode since the quote-unquote core elements and user experience appear to be the same, hence the lawsuit in January. Now, the two firms have been connected before. Back in September, Bluehole Vice President Chang Han Kim said in a press release that the company wasn't thrilled with its new competitor, especially since PUBG uses the Unreal 4 engine. Or excuse me, the Unreal Engine 4, which is developed and owned by Epic Games, and they license it out to game developers so they can make their games. After listening to the growing feedback from our community and reviewing the gameplay for ourselves, we are concerned that Fortnite may be replacing the experience for which PUBG is known, Kim said, in a release according to Mashable. We have also noticed that Epic Games references PUBG in the promotion of Fortnite to their community and in communications with the press. This was never discussed with us, and we don't feel that it's right. Both games are exploding. I mean, they they are huge over, I, I would even just say that from January till now, they have a ton of sales. PUBG was one of the first games by an indie publisher to reach a million copies, like the fastest or something like that. And Fortnite has exploded with players. It's ridiculous how quickly you find matches. I remember just late last year, you had to wait minutes to find matches. Now it's just almost instantaneous. It's less than 30 seconds to find a match, regardless of the game type you're playing. Now, there is also another difference in that PUBG just has its basic gameplay of of Battle Royale, Fortnite has introduced a ton of different variants in game modes outside of just solo duos or squads, which are the three main you know the three main types of games that you play in the battle royale mode. And so that's another difference that Fortnite has done. And there it seems like Fortnite is almost capitalizing on the battle royale genre better than PUBG is, but PUBG still to this day is popular because PUBG was uh the guy who created PUBG Actually got the idea for it. Um, I forget the name of the game, but it was like a zombie survivor game. And a lot of people did mods or did their own modifications for this game. And he did one that was like a survival. Then he did like a battle royale survival. And then he, this guy from, I think he's, he's either from Ireland or Scotland. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he, then he created PUBG, Took it to Bluehole. Bluehole said we want to make this a game when it was just a mod. And his uh, his gamer tag was player unknown, hence the name Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. So here we are. Um, this court case is starting to ramp up a little bit, and really, um, it's a lot of speculation at this point as to what could happen. Because I mean, here's the thing: if PUBG is successful. Then how far back does this go? I mean, you wouldn't have Call of Duty without Halo. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have other other games. You Essentially, Super Mario, you go all the way back to that. You wouldn't have Mega Man without Super Mario. So, I mean, Nintendo could sue Capcom. 343 slash Microsoft could sue Activision and Treyarch for Call of Duty. You know, th- this is going to set a huge, huge, huge precedence in gaming and here's my biggest fear is that if Bluehole is successful in shutting if the if by the end of this case fortnite has to shut down the battle royale mode that's really scary because here's the thing how many games are extremely similar to another one but they make it different you know what i mean because fortnite is definitely not the same playing experience as pubg is the, the weapons are different, the tuning for the weapons is different, the way you play the game is altogether different because it is a different experience. Now, it sounds like I'm defending Fortnite, which, to tell you the truth, I like PUBG a whole lot better than Fortnite, a whole lot better. And I would prefer to play that with my friends because, to me, it, it takes more skill because I feel like PUBG is more for the adult crowd where Fortnite is more for the kids because the mechanics are a lot easier and you actually have a little bit of an auto aim to the game and stuff like that. It feels more like a Halo versus a Rainbow Six Siege in in terms of gameplay where PUBG is siege and Halo um Fortnite is like Halo. And so I I hope that this case doesn't happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like maybe Bluehole should be compensated for Fortnite or Epic Games kind of ripping it off so quickly and just with the way it went down that it was like Fortnite tried to beat uh, PUBG to consoles with their Battle Royale version. And so it, it doesn't look good for Epic but at the same time if if they get if Bluehole and PUBG get total victory over Epic Games and Fortnite I feel like that it's going to stifle a lot of creativity in the future because studios are going to be shy and going to be very concerned and slow to create anything new because if it comes out to be some sort of copyright infringement they're not going to want to make that game and so we could miss out on a lot of great stuff that'll come out in the future and also it'll kind of be like movie studios with um with comic you know comic based movies with the cinematic universes for like Marvel for example how Marvel split up between three different studios or is it four? No, three. Yeah, they're split up between three different studios. But um I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, so comic book movies are split up because everybody was chasing the the um, property rights you know like kind of like the licensing rights well that's what we're going to start seeing in gaming a lot more heavily than there is now is people are going to start chasing licensing rights for game ideas for game genres basically and to me i feel like that way we'd kind of see like a video game crash like the 80s where if just a few companies have licensing rights to certain things. The games either have to be seriously, seriously AAA epic, not like the trash we've been getting for the last three or four years where it's just rinse and repeat garbage, where major studios like EA and Activision, uh, Blizzard... Um, I won't say Ubisoft because I think they've been doing a good job, but other studio, other major studios have been just tra- like buying up these smaller studios like Bungie, like... Uh, BioWare, and trashing the IP that they have created, the the intellectual property that they have made, and just churning out these garbage games that nobody really wants to play anymore because people are sick of feeling like they're getting screwed over. Now, that's something I want to cover next week is the major game companies and loot boxes and stuff like that. But anyway, I, I seriously worry about how this will go down so the other final piece of gaming news i wanted to talk about is probably one of my favorite game studios bethesda creators of the elder scrolls of doom of uh fall well they didn't create fallout but they have created everything in the fallout universe since fallout 3 and man these guys i have, <laughs> i have not been disappointed with any of their games since I started, since I think the first one I actually bought was, uh, well, the first, the first one I played was a, bl- or no, it was actually Morrowind, excuse me, Elder Scrolls Three: Morrowind. The first game I actually bought was Fallout 3 for the Xbox 360, but I have never been let down by Bethesda, and they had a huge announcement yesterday, if you missed it, and I call it the little big announcement for this reason, uh, on May 29th, on Twitch, Bethesda, Started a live stream where they had, if you know what I'm talking about, they had the Please Stand By uh, Fallout playing in kind of like a, I don't want to say, mo- it wasn't monotone, but um, like a, a tinted version of the Please Stand By screen playing in the background of a table which had a Vault Boy bobblehead and a watch that was set set to 945. A few random things happened. Uh, miscellaneous people coming in and out and doing goofy stuff and then they kind of shut the lights off and then in the morning they started doing a couple things again and then right around 9:45, they removed the table the bobblehead the watch and cleared things out and you could hear a little noise in the background the camera got really fuzzy and then they finally focused in todd howard who is a uh, executive producer and i think he He's got to be like a creative director or something. Uh, But anyway, executive producer for Bethesda Studios came forward, stood in front of the screen. Hey, uh, hey guys, I think we've uh, we've waited long enough and announced the teaser trailer for the new Fallout game coming out, Fallout 76. So here's what we know so far. The teaser trailer, first of all, if you haven't seen it, go to Bethesda.net, go to their website, check it out. For a teaser, it's pretty cool. We do know... It's based on fall on Vault 76, hence the title. And uh, what we know as far as the Fallout lore goes is that Vault 76 consisted of 500 dwellers, and it was considered a control vault. So, if you know the story of Fallout, you know that all the vaults had different things going on. To where basically they said, "Oh, survive any sort of coming apocalypse," because there was you know essentially. Everything short of atomic nuclear war happening uh, between the U.S. and China, or so the lore goes, and eventually China or somebody—I uh, I don't want to spoiler—if you—if you really feel like getting into the older Fallout games that are PC-based—nukes the U.S. and people were brought into these underground vaults built by a company called Vault-Tec, and each vault had a different appeal or system to it, but there were vaults that were considered control vaults that were that did what they were supposed to. They were supposed to shield the people from atomic, from nuclear blasts, and then eventually the vaults were to open, and the people would go out and repopulate the earth. Well, Vault 76 consisted of 500 dwellers, and the doors were set to open 20 years after they were sealed in, and that year was 2077 when they were sealed in, when the bombs fell. Now, the idea is is that, ideally, it would be set in 2097 in the Fallout universe, but we see a brief look at a Pip-Boy in the teaser trailer where the year says 2102. So that wouldn't be horribly after what's happened, but a little bit longer than the 20 years. Now, this would actually be kind of a prequel to the entire fallout series starting with fallout one on pc through fallout two all the way through three new vegas and fallout four because i believe fallout one takes place what is it is it like a hundred years or something like that or I, i know it's more than 20 anyway i i don't know off the top of my head and a buddy of mine would, unfortunately, he won't be here till tomorrow. <laughs> he could tell me, but anyway, um, so this would be essentially the first happening in the Fallout series, and also the date on that Pip Boy reads October 21st. So there's a lot of speculation that the game is going to be released on October 21st, but Bethesda's already said that they will uh, talk more about it. When E3 comes up, I believe that's next month in June. Or if you're listening now, it is June. Uh, it's still May for me right now. But other speculation includes people think it's just going to be another another uh, piece in the Fallout series. Personally, I think this is going to be more like Elder Scrolls Legends. If you don't know anything about Elder Scrolls Legends, it's an Elder Scrolls MMORPG, which is massive multiplayer online role-playing game. Uh, other games that are in that genre are World of Warcraft, which is the, mo- or the most um, recognized one, I guess I'll say. And there, there's a million other games like that. Destiny is technically an MMO. But anyway, Elder Scrolls Legends takes place before the first Elder Scrolls game. So I'm thinking, personally, my my idea here, my thought is that if this takes place before Fallout 1, that's what we're getting. We're getting the Fallout MMO, which me and a few friends have just been pining for ever since Elder Scrolls Legends came out. And we realized that, hey, Bethesda or ZeniMax Studios can do something like this, man, and do something awesome with a game universe that people love. So I'm really, really hoping that that's the case. I'm really hoping that that's how this goes down. Again, go watch the teaser trailer. You can probably find it on YouTube if you don't want to go to Bethesda's website. Totally worth it. It's pretty cool. Uh, That's another thing, too, is some people think it's going to be set around West Virginia. Well, the first time we experienced Vault 76 is actually in Fallout 3, which is set in the Washington, D.C. area, or it's called the Capital Waste. But, I mean... West Virginia is close enough and the maps aren't super specific in most of the games as far as like real topography and like how far, you know, actual places are away from others. So it's very likely that we could see this in the D.C. area or at least somewhere around West Virginia and that eastern seaboard Virginia area. Maybe it'll include Georgia or just just the whole eastern seaboard. That'd be pretty cool, too. I know some people were hoping for Chicago um, because in the Fallout universe, the Enclave is linked heavily to Chicago. And so that's something I was hoping to see at some point. But if this is the game we're getting where it's an MMO, cool. I'll still be excited if it's a Fallout 5, you know, the essentially fall, what Fallout 5 would be, where it's just a single player. Or at the very least, if it is going to be like Fallout 3 and 4, have it so you can team up kind of like Destiny. That would be cool, too. If it's not like Elder Scrolls Legends, have it be like a Destiny game where you can partner up with two or three of your friends and go do quests and stuff like that. That would be awesome as well. But again, this is all wild speculation. Nobody knows what it's actually going to be, what the gameplay is going to be. And I can guarantee you that E3 is going to be packed when Bethesda's giving their presentation and it is going to be probably one of the biggest nights of E3. Alright, so next up, uh, I said we were going to talk about the Constitution. Now, the reason I want to kind of get into this stuff is because even though probably a lot of us learned, whether you were in public school, private school, or homeschooled, in your social studies classes, you learned a little bit about the Constitution, about the bill. You probably learned what the Bill of Rights was. Maybe you memorized it, maybe you didn't. You probably learned about the Declaration and the preamble. And that was probably about it, you know. And you, you know, a few things here and there, and you know, uh, events that happened in America or the colonies at the time. But I feel like it's important, especially with a lot of stuff I see today on on Facebook and Twitter and in the news. You know, people say, "Oh, that's unconstitutional." How many of us know what that actually means? How many of us can can say that with confidence? That. You know, a president or a senator or somebody in the in the federal government does something, and it's actually unconstitutional. Do we know that for for a fact? Can you say that one hundred percent? Now, I know a few of you are heavily into government and politics and law, and so you probably do. For me, for probably a few more of you out there, at least, we don't really know a hundred percent what this is because. It's being taught less and less in schools. So, the Constitution. What is it? At its very core, the Constitution is a document that sets the limits of power and rules for the federal government, for the legislative, and the executive branches. And on top of all of that, excuse me, what the Constitution does is protects the people, the U.S. citizens, from an overreaching governing body. Now... Why do we need the Constitution? Before there was the Constitution, the, the colonies or the, the states had the Articles of Confederation. Okay? So what we're talking about here, the Articles of Confederation, which was, I don't want to say the founding document, but it's what binded the states together to begin to form that nation. So, um... Let me see where I'm going here. I have a few things that I wasn't able to type out, or I'd basically be reading you an essay. So, basically what happened was the need for the Constitution grew out of the problems that the delegates and the people had with the Articles of Confederation. Now, the Articles of Confederation essentially established like a league or a treaty or friendship between the states because each state at that point was more or less its own sovereign nation. And what it did was the Constitution uh, took more power and basically gave it to the, the what was called the Congress of the Confederation at that point. But the power, or I'm sorry, excuse me, let me take that back. The Articles of Confederation gave very limited power to the Congress of the Confederation. Now, the central government conducted diplomacy and made war. They set the official weights and measures, and they were the final arbiter, if you will, the final rule of disputes between states. Crucially, it could not raise any funds, so there was no taxation, and it was entirely dependent on the states themselves for the money. So basically, whatever the states felt like giving was how this Congress of Confeder- of the Confederation was able to operate and do anything monetarily speaking. So each state sent a delegation anywhere between two and seven members to the Congress. And they voted as a group with each state getting one total vote. So each delegation would agree and then they would vote how they saw fit. But any decision uh, that was like a major decision. Required a unanimous vote. Required 100 percent. Everybody agree, and that led to an even more. Um, what what do I want to say? Not. Uh, it, it led to a, a government that was basically that got less done than our current government is what I'm trying to say. I can't think of the word for it, but that's essentially that's what was going on. And that's pretty bad. So a movement began within the Congress to reform the articles. And so invitations were sent out to attend a convention in Philadelphia to discuss changes to the articles. And that was in 1787. So in May of that year, delegates from 12 of the 13 States, Rhode Island sat out. They refused to send anybody. So these delegates convened in Philadelphia to begin the work of redesigning what was their current government. The delegates of the Constitutional Convention quickly began drafting a new constitution for the United States. So that is why we needed the the first one, was to tie the states together, the Articles of the Confederation, And then they realized that there were a lot of problems and not that they wanted the the federal or the central government to have a ton of power, excuse me, but they needed a little more power because they were realizing at this time that if they were going to be their own state, the states couldn't be independent sovereign nations just by themselves. There had to be something more tying them together. So the Continental Congress which they started calling themselves, adopted, um, or which they were initially called, excuse me, I, I apologize, so the Continental Congress adopted the Articles of Confederation on November 15th of 1777, so this is after the Declaration of Independence. The Articles of Confederation weren't ratified or totally accepted by all 13 states, until March first of seventeen eighty one, so four years later, oh well, uh, not quite three and a half years, close to four. And so again, the the uh, the Articles of Confederation were a loose agreement between all the states to basically act in the best interest of all the people. So a little timeline that I was able to find here on the Library of Congress's website kind of gives a brief history or a brief rundown of the Articles of Confederation and moving into um, the Constitution itself. So, June 11th of 1776, Continental Congress resolved that a committee was to be appointed to prepare and digest the form of a confederation to be entered in between the colonies, an agreement between the colonies. The next day, the committee members were appointed, and so they started writing it. The first draft of the Articles of Confederation was presented to Congress a month later in July. Then we fast forward to November of 1777. They adopted the Articles of Confederation. Two days later, the Articles were submitted to the states with a request for immediate action. So that way the governors of the states would and, and the, the state ruling bodies would accept the Articles of Confederation. Next year, June 25th of 1778, a committee of three was appointed to prepare the form of a ratification of the Articles of Confederation. The next day, June 26th, the Articles of Confederation were ordered to be engrossed. June 27th, the first engrossed copy was found to be incorrect, and a second copy was ordered. Fast forward from June 27th of 1778 to July 9th, the second and gross copy of the Articles of Confederation was signed and ratified by delegates from eight states, which included New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and South Carolina. Now, uh, it'd be 12 days later, in July 21st, North Carolina signed and ratified. Three days later, Georgia, there are the delegates from delegates from Georgia signed and ratified. Then in November of 26th of that year, New Jersey signed and ratified. May 5th, Delaware, March 1st, excuse me, May 5th of 1779, so almost a, a half a year later, Delaware signed, and then almost another year later, or almost two years later, excuse me, in March 1st of 1781, Maryland ratified. And so at that point, all 13 states had ratified the Articles of Confederation March 1st of 1781 then February 21st of 1787 six years later Congress approved a plan to hold their convention in Philadelphia to revise the Articles of Confederation and that's where they came up with the idea of the Constitution the uh, Constitution or excuse me the uh, meeting was set in Philadelphia and so the constitutional convention began. Now, the big idea was to fix the Articles of Confederation and to create a government with not overreaching power but enough power to act on a national level in the best interest of the people, but without so much power that what the founders considered fundamental rights would be at risk. One way that this was accomplished was to separate the power gov- the power of government into three branches, and that's where you get your legislative, your lawmakers, your executive, so that'd be your, your president. Your current day would be president, FBI, his uh, the Department of Justice, and his cabinet, and then the judicial, which is the Supreme Court. Now, the concern arose largely out of the experience that the delegates had with the King of England and, par- and Parliament. The powers of each branch uh, of the Constitution were assigned to were were assigned accordingly excuse me and the ultimate power though was saved for the states so that way basically the the ruling was was that the government could not tell the states what to do but the states could tell the government what to do so much of the debate which was conducted in secret so that the delegates were able to actually speak their minds freely without being you know attacked or persecuted focused on the the form that the new legislature would take two plans competed to become the new government the first plan was called the virginia plan which apportioned representation based on population of each state and the other plan which was called the new jersey plan which gave each states an equal vote in congress So the Virginia plan obviously was supported by the larger states, while the New Jersey plan was supported and preferred by the smaller states. In the end, they settled on what they called the Great Compromise, or sometimes called the Connecticut Compromise, if you're really diving into history, in which the House of Representatives represent the people by the amount of their population, and the Senate, which hosts a little more power than the House of Representatives, would represent the states equally. And so the president would be elected by the Electoral College, and the plan called for an independent judiciary, the Supreme Court. The founders also took a lot of time to establish the relationship between the states. States were required to give what they called full faith and credit to the laws, records, contracts, and judicial proceedings of other states, although Congress was able to The ruling was Congress would be able to regulate the manner in which the states shared their records so that it was ideally the same, so each state wasn't doing its own thing. And Congress was able to define the scope of this clause. States were barred from discriminating against citizens of other states in any way, and states could not enact tariffs against other states. And they must also extradite anybody accused of crimes to whatever other state for trial so these were the basic things that were laid down for the constitutions uh, for the constitution but the founders also specified the process by which the constitution could be amended now that's where we start getting into the bill of rights and the i believe there's 27 amendments if i remember correctly and so since it's ratification yep i was right <laughs> the cons- so the founders also specified though the process to which the Constitution may be amended because they were smart enough to realize that society changes, people change, and that, at least at the time, the United States was growing and it was going to continue to grow. So, since then, the Constitution has been amended 27 times, and in order to prevent any stupid arbitrary... arbitrary I can't talk today, I'm sorry, arbitrary changes the process for making the amendments is pretty much the longest process that all of Congress can go through. So, an amendment may be proposed by a two-thirds vote of both Houses of Congress. So that's your, your House of Representatives and your Senate. If two-thirds, or if two-thirds of the states request one. So like right now, there is the... Um, Oh, why can't I think of it? I'm having another brain fart again. I, I am so sorry. I don't know why my brain is shutting down, but basically there is a movement out there for all the states to come together. uh, uh convention. I, I forget what it's called, but it's oh constitutional convention. Yeah, convention of states. Okay, so there is a there is. A movement out there for a convention of states to happen—that's what this is called, where two-thirds of the states request an amendment um, in order to, you know, to have one. And so, like right now, the big thing that the uh, constant, the convention of states, excuse me, is moving for, is to set term limits on Congress. And so, that's something that's out there right now. So the amendment must be ratified. By three fourths or seventy-five percent of state legislatures, or three fourths of conventions called in each state for ratification, so essentially, uh, the state leg if the state legislatures don't vote, seventy-five percent of the people would have to approve it. Additionally, the Constitution specifies that no amendment can deny a state equal representation in the Senate without that state consenting and also amendments have traditionally specified a time frame in which the so if a convention of states were to happen for the convention of states to propose that we set term limits on congress then um they usually would set a time frame like okay so if we're going to do this then the amendment has you know five years to pass for the the 75% majority that it needs by the people of each state or those states' legislatures. Continuing on, with the details and the language of the Constitution decided, the convention got down to the work of actually setting the Constitution on paper, writing it down, and it was written by a delegate of Pennsylvania who was Governor Morris, and the job allowed him some reign over the actual punctuation and a few clauses in the constitution and he is also credited historically for the famous preamble quoted at the top or quoted at the uh the well the preamble is like the the first paragraph of the constitution so on September 17th in 1787 39 of the 55 delegates signed the new document with many who refused to sign object objecting because of the purpose of the lack of amendments to the constitution the lack of rights that was provided and secured to the people and at least one delegate refused to sign the constitution uh because of how slavery was protected at the time and the slave trade so you have that in there as well and the preamble of the constitution goes like this. We, the people of the United States, in order to perform, or excuse me, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Basically, that is what helped form the states and form what is our current government. So when something is unconstitutional, it either goes against an amendment or against what is actually in the Constitution of the United States. So what I was going to do or at least the idea was, is I was actually going to read through some of these, through some of the articles, and there's several sections to the articles. But I'm a little tongue-tied today, and I've been a little brain farty. I mean, even Article 1 just has 10 sections in it on its own. So, we'll begin going through the articles next week. And, uh, I, you know what, actually what I'm going to do, I'll just do a couple of separate... Uh, podcasts, just kind of on their own, where I'll go through a few of the articles because the Constitution itself actually has seven articles. So Article 1 has 10 sections, Article 2 has 4, Article 3 has 3, Article 4 has 4, then you have Article 5, 6, and then Article 7, which just involves specifics about the 13 colonies, about each state at that time. So what I'll do is I'll record... Separately, so we can kind of go through that. But what I want to do next week is start breaking down the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, so we can kind of start understanding those a little bit more and really grinding into them and what they mean So what I'm going to do is I will, I will have a separate podcast just specifically on the Articles of the Constitution, where I'll um since it's kind of long, what I'll do is I'll have I'll have just a smaller one on Article One and going through all those sections, and well actually you know what, I changed my mind on that. What I'm going to do is I'll, I'll just do one separate podcast on all the Articles of the Constitution, so that way. It's there, and if you want to listen to it to have a better understanding of what's actually in the Constitution itself, you don't. Alright, with that being said, warning, warning, warning! Danger, Will Robinson! Spoilers ahead! We are reviewing the Solo movies, A Star Wars Story. Man, Solo was awesome. Honestly, out of the... New four Star Wars movies being The Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rogue One, and Solo. I would have to say that Solo, personally, just for me, because I really like the expanded universe, Solo squeaked by as my favorite movie for me. Then it's a tie between Force Awakens and Rogue that Well, I guess it would be Solo, Force Awakens, Rogue One being really close, and then the dumpster fire that was Last Jedi. And I will gladly, if somebody even wants to be on the show, uh, once I finally figure out how to run having a guest on through like Facebook chat or Skype or something like that, I'm going to be working on that over the next couple of weeks so I can actually have guests on the show. But anyway, um, if you want to debate that with me and just talk Star Wars, go ahead and get at me. You can, you can get a hold of me through the email, which is theplainpodcast at gmail.com. You can look me up by the same name, The Plain Podcast, on Facebook, at The Plain Podcast on Twitter. I am currently releasing stuff on SoundCloud, but I am also in the process of getting approved to drop my podcast on iTunes. So I'm really excited for that. Now, for those of you who are still going to stay here, we're going to jump in. For those of you jumping out, Please come back and check uh, probably in about 7 to 10 days of when I release this one because I will have the Articles of the Constitution up very, very soon. Also, uh, have a nice rest of your week. Enjoy June. Enjoy the spring rolling into summer, which we pretty much already have summer anyway, at least. I know in North Dakota we do. I've heard that in Minnesota, Wisconsin, probably Indiana, and wherever else you might live. Thunderstorms, hot weather, good times. (laughs) So you who are jumping off to not hear anything about Solo, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it, and I'll see you next time. For those of you here staying for the Solo Movie Review, first we're going to start with the plot. So the plot of the story... Is at the core is how Han Solo became the good-hearted smuggler that we know and love today. So what it happens is it starts out Han Solo is on a planet called Corellia, and him and his girlfriend girlfriend, excuse me, who is played by Amelia Clark, are kids trying to escape like this partial indentured servitude slavery deal that they have going on there. It's basically like a an industrialized planet. And so they're trying to get out. He makes it out. She doesn't make it out. And in order to escape, he joins the Imperial Army. But he wants to become a pilot. And that's his thing is, oh, I'm a great pilot. I'm a great pilot. Even though we haven't seen this yet, right? So what ends up happening is we find out he was kicked out. He was kicked out of the Imperial Academy. So that way, he wasn't a pilot, and he became a ground troop, infantry, a grunt. While he was a grunt on some planet that the Empire was trying to conquer, he runs into this character named Beckett, who's played by Woody Harrelson, and his friend Val, played by Fanny Newton, and another guy, and I, I didn't look up to see who had played the CG character, or CGI character. And he discovers that in the midst of this battle, that they are some sort of thieves or smugglers if you will and they were planning a job and so for a while he's basically trying to convince them you know hey you guys need a pilot i'm good oh hey you guys need a soldier i'm good with a blaster trying to convince them that hey i want to join the crew and in order to ditch him they rat him out as a uh as a deserter and so they throw him in this pit where he meets chewbacca he and chewy decide to escape together and eventually Beckett says, okay, we'll bring you on. So they go to pull a big job and only Beckett and Solo and Chewie survive. They lose the goods in the process and find out that they have to answer to this crime lord named Dryden Voss, who is the leader of the Crimson Dawn, which is kind of like the Hutts or any sort of other illegal organization. And so they have to pay Voss back and in order to do so, they have to go on a dangerous mission But, of course, they have to find a crew and they have to find a ship and all this other stuff. So, without releasing too many details, they pick up Donald Glover. I I mean, uh, Lando Calrissian. (laughs) As a side note, I love Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. And so they pick up Lando and proceed to go through the mission, complete the mission. But during the mission, all hell breaks loose. Some really, really cool things happen. Some hilarious things happen. Uh, A little SJW-ness for those of you who are a little sensitive to that. That happens. I guess I found it funny. Whatever. And then the rest of the movie happens. But I, like I said, I'm trying to keep it as least spoilery as possible because the entire last two-thirds of this movie is what really got me into it. it. It took me about a half hour to really dive in and kind of be absorbed into the world, so to speak you know, to, to get into the movie, but after the movie, like it took about, I'd say 20 minutes to a half hour for the movie to really figure out its pace. But once the pacing was set, then you really got into the meat and potatoes of this thing. And it was really, really good. So the characters, I wasn't keen on, uh, I think he pronounces, uh, his last name, Aaron Rick or Aaron Reich. I wasn't very keen when I found out he was playing Han Solo. And there were a ton of people all over YouTube and Facebook and the internet saying, Oh, this person looks like him. This person sounds like Harrison Ford. This person should be playing Han Solo. And at first, I wasn't really impressed. It was hard to accept. And that was part of the reason it was really hard for me to get into the movie. But once you see him interacting with Donald Glover's Lando... It was totally believable. It it was spot on. It was right there. The mannerisms, his posture, his attitude, the way he had it handled the blaster. Purely Han Solo. 100%. It was great. It was terrific. And I think part of it was, too, was I, I'm guessing he had a hard time getting into the character. But once they really started the shooting, and I don't know how Ron Howard, Howard shoots his movies, but... I'm guessing eventually somewhere along the way it clicked and you can see it in the movie that it really clicked with him being Han Solo. Now, as far as Don... Or Donnie. (laughs) As far as Donald Glover goes, man, I was really surprised. I, to be honest, with all the controversy surrounding his music video and stuff, I was kind of like, is this really what we're going to see because he's supposed to be a pansexual according to one of the writers and you know just honestly i i went into the movie disappointed but again donald glover was something that pulled me back into the movie i mean when you first see him you would swear it was billy d williams doing the voiceover now i think that the accent and a few of the mannerisms could have been improved like like how much he sounded like billy d williams but at the same time he did have to make the character his own and I think he, he did that very well. So basically without having Billy D. Williams doing voiceover and CGI work, this was really well done. And, and Donald Glover also nailed this thing out of the park. I mean, just took off with the character and ran with it. And I was very, very impressed. The guy who played Chewbacca was uh, Junis, I want to say, Swatamo, I think is how you say the last name. Uh, I know he's some sort of Scandinavian. But he also has been playing Chewbacca in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. He did a really good job, too. So personally, I guess to sum this one up, I would say this is the guy to play Chewbacca because he owned that character. Anyone outside of Peter Mayhew would be trash compared to this guy. And and these are the only two people, in, in my opinion, who should ever play Chewbacca ever again. Enough said. <laughs> Woody Harrelson's character, uh, Paul Bettany, Amelia Clark, they all did really good jobs. I I'm a pretty big well I wouldn't say I'm a big fan but I like Woody Harrelson. I liked him in Zombieland. I liked him in the uh, the Hunger Games. I liked him in Now You Now You See Me. Woody Harrelson is just an actor who I don't I don't think he's a method actor but man he just grabs the roles that he has and just owns them just really becomes that person and same with paul bettany it was a little weird to uh to see vision in star wars (laughs) no he doesn't look anything like the vision he does do a little makeup but it, it was a little hard at first because when he started talking all i could think was vision because that's all we've really seen paul bettany in in the last couple of years is marvel cinematic universe so that was a little hard at first, but you know what? I like Paul Bettany as an actor. I liked him well before he was the Vision. If Disney wants to keep throwing him in movies, go ahead. I'll watch it. I didn't realize who Amelia Clark was at first. I thought she did very well. I mean, considering she this character, from what I understand from a few reviews and other things, this is a bit of a departure from her Game of Thrones character. But I thought she, she did the part very, very well with what she had. And to be to be honest, including Thy Newton and a few others, these three specifically though really tied the, the ensemble together and really really made it work. Um, as far as everything else goes with this movie, there are some really cool cameos in there. So uh, if you know anything about Ron Howard's movies, he puts his brother Clint Howard in all of his movies. So pay attention for that. And there's a few other cool cameos and some characters that pop up that you really don't expect. So watch for that. Really be attentive. Use the bathroom before the movie, because once you get past that first 20 to 30 minutes, you don't want to leave. You you may not be on the edge of your seat necessarily, but hopefully you'll be involved enough in the movie that you won't want to take off. So my, uh, My impressions on the movie, I guess, if you haven't caught it yet, is uh, I remember going into it concerned that this was going to be the SJW crap fest dumpster fire the way The Last Jedi was. To some extent, there was a little bit, like I mentioned before, but I found it more hilarious and funny than the forced SJW garbage that was in Last Jedi that really just got shoved in your face and shoved down your throat. And I would like, I mean, just speculating, I want to credit Ron Howard with that because I think he's probably more of an old school guy. He's not really one of those outspoken uppity Hollywood types that you see getting awards all the time. But I left the movie feeling the way I did with Rogue One. At first, feeling like, oh, great, really, like, okay, this is a money grab. It's going to be trash. It's going to be garbage, no crawl, new characters that we don't know anything about or care about, and all the main characters are, you know, a, a side story, basically. But, um, excuse me, that that's the way I entered into the movie, but I left the movie feeling the way I did with Rogue One and that there could be, if, if done right and done well, Keeping the politics out of the movie, I feel like these anthology films could be a huge, huge new direction for Star Wars. And I'm not saying, you know, deviate from the current course with the new trilogy, but I mean, there's so many stories to be told here. Just an insane amount. You could go with Boba Fett. If you played uh, uh, Shadows of the Empire or if you read any of the Bounty Hunter books, You know who Prince Zizer is. You know, you could do just a bounty hunter movie. You could go back and do Jedi movies or do movies before episode one about the forming of the Republic or how the Sith came to be. I mean, theoretically, if they really wanted to take the script and ideas from Knights of the Old Republic, the video game, you could turn that into an amazing movie. There is so much potential here, and we've seen that. With shows like Clone Wars, with shows like Rebels. So basically, I guess if if I have to say anything overall, it's that if you like the expanded universe, whether it's books or TV shows or comics, if you like those about Star Wars, you will love the Han Solo movie. If you don't, let me know because I want to know why you didn't love it. For the just the diehard fans of the original trilogy who hated the prequels, who really don't like the new movies... Take this one with a grain of salt, um, unless you really like the theater experience. You'll probably want to wait for this one to come out on video or digital. But uh, I guess if I were to have to <laughs> you have to use a rating system, I would give Solo eight and a half Wookiee roars out of ten. So again, if you like the anthology, if you like the expanded universe of Star Wars, the video games, comics, shows books definitely definitely go see this one in theaters if you're a diehard just the trilogy original trilogy and that's it wait for it to come out on video but anyway that's enough out of me for today i didn't want to have to make this one a two-parter so i hope you guys have a great weekend i hope you have a great week i hope you have fun hopefully you're not getting into trouble i know i'm not at least yet but that With that being said, I gotta end this, get it edited and uploaded so I don't get in trouble by the time I get home. And you know what? Just have a good time playing Nation. God bless, and I'll see you on the next episode.